I think it's wrong for a parent to coach their own child. Hey everyone, welcome to our podcast, The Bold Tackle. We are your hosts, Sophie Howard and Oliver Howard, and we are ready to tackle bold topics in sport, highlight the women's football industry, and speak about the unspoken. If you are ready to get an insight into what really goes on behind the scenes, join us on our journey and listen to The Bold Tackle. Hi and welcome back to a new episode of our podcast, The Bold Tackle. Hi Soph, lovely to have you here again. Hi Ollie, lovely to see you again back on screen because unfortunately I'm back in England and you're back in Germany. And there's a third person on screen here today. Uh, do you want to introduce him? Yes, I can. Um, everyone listening, we've got our first guest on the podcast tonight. And um, this is a person that has definitely contributed to moulding me into the person and also footballer that I am today. Everyone, we've got my dad on the pod tonight. Hi, Dad. How are you? Hi. I don't really feel like a guest. I feel like um, this is all new for me. So um, not quite sure what's going to happen here. So let's see. Let's see what happens and develops out of this conversation. I mean, guys, he is a little bit older, so technology is a little bit tricky for him. <laughs> but we got him on board. And interestingly, we've got three countries covered. Ollie's in Germany, as I mentioned. I'm in England and Dad's actually in Spain. So a new challenge for itself. But he still manages to watch all your games from Spain. He does. And what's nearly all, all WSL games from Spain. He watches more football than I do. So this kid could become into a siblings discussion or siblings fight, but he never really watched all my games. <laughs> <laughs> no. That is not true. <laughs> I was just going to say. And also, they were not on TV. They were not on TV. Oli, also, he made me wait for two hours once because he was watching your games and he was late in picking me up. So I waited for two hours and I was only 11 or something like that. Well, let Ed tell you the so story about you let, let Ed tell you the story about him going to driving school and not being picked up and having to walk through the forest for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's good to you, Dad. That's not the topic you want to start talking about. But obviously, Sophie, we want to also focus on you again today, but get dad's perspective in here as well dad how is it for you to see sophie become professional let's start there um doesn't really happen like that does it um there isn't that one point or she doesn't suddenly become professional um it was a long process a long long process and things just developed in that direction the only thing that uh, the one instance I suppose as Sophie's already mentioned in other podcasts is that moment when she left to go to Hoffenheim. But don't you have the feeling at some point like we always talk to professionals or footballers you hear the interviews and you go when was the moment you realised you really made it? Did you have something like that as a parent for, for your child? No because making it what's at what level do you make it? Um, even at the stage when she was taken for Germany for the under-20s, I said to her, that's when the work starts. That's not having made it. Because to um, establish yourself at that level is not. 
it doesn't just happen. It's a continual process. It goes over many years. And so that that one point never really happened. And that even today, um, I still see Sophie as my daughter, not a professional footballer. So that point never really, never really happened. But I guess you do, you do have that feel of pride and she made it when you see how emotional you can get when you do see on the pitch, uh, running on all these different fields for all these different big clubs. So Maybe it's become very normal and you don't really see it like that, but you do notice it professional. And one other point I'd like to make, maybe also it's different from the men to women because when you see men making it, they get these big contracts when they're 18, 19 for three years where they start to earn millions. And even if they don't play football after three years, they've got the couple of millions on in the bank. Um, with the women's football, I think I, I also I totally agree that her being at these under-20 World Cup, that was the start for her. And she had a long way to go from there to get to a, I am fully professional and I can only play football. Um, I, I think it's a case that um, when, if you, if you can take a step back um, and look at the situation objectively, take a step back with, and, and then say, for example, when we travelled around France, France to to watch the World Cup, if you could stay, take a step back and and see the stadiums and the amount of spectators who's in playing in front of, then that's where the pride or whatever comes in. But um, as soon as she walks on the pitch, it, the feeling is, becomes very subjective. And then you feel part of it and... Um, it comes to the stage where you, uh, Sophie might be playing in in whatever team, um, and if you watch them enough, you can you can see how each player moves, um, how their their motoric is or whatever. And of course, with your own daughter, you know almost what they're thinking at that time. So you've been so involved that it's it's a very subjective thing, and that's when you lose the sort of. Um, standing back and letting things happen because you, you, you're in it. Your feelings are in it. You've seen it for the last, uh, in Sophie's case, 26 years of that development and, and you feel very much part of it. I mean, you, you don't change a player, do you? A uh, player has a certain way of playing and, and develops, but um, you won't get somebody that's uh, a natural striker playing central defender and those sorts of things um you see right from the start and 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 you watch that subjectively um and obviously enjoy the success that they're having um but it's a very different feeling to a spectator who can stand back and say wow look what they've achieved you know what's hard work's been put in there and the amount of sacrifice that's been put in there. Yeah, we we jumped in right in the middle, but maybe because Sophie, you always keep telling us that you also get comments from uh, other parents, um, and maybe you can shed a bit of light on what Dad did in in your development to become a professional. Um, how much involved were you to getting Sophie to where she is today? Me, um, 
And at the beginning, you were a driver, my personal driver. <laughs> Not only you see that, that that was the thing. There was four of you. Yeah. Um, it was a case of um being the driver as much as you could be for all of you, um, with mum as well. When uh, one of you was taking out more time, um, for example, and and Ollie, this comes back to your comment. Um, you weren't there there for me as much. That's not true. When Sophie was still local, she could get there by bike. Um, and I watched every training, every game of yours when you moved to a club further away. But the support was there, but never really the the, the pushing or the creating an opportunity. I mean, Sophie was very, very lucky. She She had a lot of doors opened unintentionally for her. Um, and she walked through those. You know, there are certain things through her past that that happened that allowed her to to take an opportunity. On the one hand, I agree, and maybe this is because we are a family. I think I think too few doors opened for Sophie uh, in relation to how much input and how much of her life she put into football and how determined she was to get where she was and how much how much her focus was on football I think there should have been more doors opened on a more frequent and earlier in her career um it could have been very different it could have been very different because if those doors that I mentioned hadn't been there then it the 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 move would have been much more difficult than it already was but I think we as a family, we chose this certain path because when I was growing up, I could have moved to Frankfurt sooner. That then was one of the biggest women's clubs in Germany. But we chose for me to stay with the boys. And then when it was the right time to then move to Hoffenheim, and Hoffenheim was then not in the first division. It was a, a project, a development but we chose that on purpose. But you pushed those doors open. For example, Hoffenheim, we talked about this in the previous episode. Sophie was one of the first players to go into the Hoffenheim Academy from outside where they made this family available where she could stay for, what was it, a year or something. But you pushed that door open by contacting them and being involved in Sophie being able to move there, weren't you? Well, the whole thing about that was that, that the Frankfurt at that time were, um, as Sophie said, I think, uh, along with Potsdam and perhaps Wolfsburg, I think at that time even Bayern weren't as far as as uh, Eintracht Frankfurt were, and or at that time um, Frankfurt FFC, FFC. Uh, Frankfurt, and their whole philosophy was, you know. Um, get to training however far you have to drive and our thoughts were and what happens to the academic what happens if something goes wrong what happens if you don't make it and you're you're stuck there not having gone you know, i mean you you went to a very demanding school and to be able to combine that with with the driving to Frankfurt and school was almost impossible um it would have, it was difficult enough with with allocating time anyway, but to have Frankfurt 
um, as a demanding youth development club, um, we probably couldn't have, have, have dedicated that time to all the driving that was needed. Obviously, we would have taken Sam and Sophie because Frank had asked for both of them. Um, but it, what was going to happen to Ollie and Eddie and, and what was going to happen to their schooling? What I actually looked for was um, somewhere um, that was looking to have a women's academy, I think it was called at that time, and I don't know for whatever reason I came on Hoffenheim um, and saw that actually it looked as if they were combining that, um, that they were combining schooling and football. Um, even if, and I know Sophie said that perhaps they didn't have as much contact with the school as, as we perhaps hoped, but they did have the school local, they did have the training local, and they did do their best at that time with their limited means to combine the two and have an infrastructure around development of the girls. I mean, this was a long time ago. Um, this was in 2009. Sophie? Eight or nine. It must have been nine because you were at the family for yeah. a year and I studied in ten. It must have been nine, yeah. Because uh, you then left, you went to the States in twelve, so yeah. it was three years. So um, this was 2009. This is a long time ago. This is 14 years ago. But that's what we, I was saying about Hoffenheim. Was it, it was pretty um, um, far in its concept and development and support. Um, I take my hat off to um, Dietmar Hopp for, for supporting that at that time and the Amphifinsleben that um, supported it. And um, they weren't taking a gamble because they knew it would work. The Hoffenheim stuff does work. Um, but for us, um, the only real consideration there was, would Sophie be okay moving away from home and still maintain that academic level that she had and be able to prove with the football but it all went well i mean it was hard for south um but from our point of view um that was that was why we went chose hoffenheim um i remember being at one of the trials and a lot of parents at that time who have now got kids in 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 the bigger clubs we say, oh, no, we're not putting our kids under that to move away from home. Um, and I said, well, we've already done it, so um, we'll see how this goes. But it was it was a move to be able to combine the academic qualifications um, in case something went wrong. It was creating a safety net, really, and Hoffenheim allowed us to, to um, use that. That was a big decision to make for Sophie to move there, but as we want to know a little bit more about the parent situation how much did you need to have to get involved with Sophie's football um, or was it only support from the outside I know it's difficult to to look at it from the outside you mean the off and iron you mean I mean there. in her whole career going back to 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 Hoffenheim zero zero Hoffenheim did it and to be honest Sophie did it um it wasn't just the club it was Sophie's dedication but if you go back to earlier times, um, the only support we needed to give was being there, getting getting them, getting her to training, 
<laughs> getting them, I say, because it was both of them, um, both the twins. I'm getting them to training, getting them to whatever um, selection team they were. They were. I've always been lucky that I've had a job where I've been able to have the time to get them to those selection teams. Um, not all parents had that, and I know of an awful lot of talent because of people being bound, um, parents being bound by their jobs where talents haven't been developed, and really they were talents. And um, I find that a bit of a shell. I think that's what scouting at young ages is about. Um, taking a risk by the clubs is about. Um, so really getting involved in the football, no, but being a supportive parent, yeah. But I think even even though you might not got involved in terms of on the pitch, but you still, you weren't just my driver. You were far more than that. Because I remember conversations in the car and I'd say you're my biggest critic, but my biggest supporter at the same time. And I think those are the crucial parts that have allowed me to develop. You know, it's, um, it's that thing of um, they go together, don't they? The fact we spent so much of our time in the car gave us dedicated time to talk about what had just happened or what was happening. And um, it was, a, it was a, a two-way thing, really. We had, to, we had to travel a lot, but we had a lot of time talking together. Um, I think for us now, maybe it seems normal and natural that, that we did that. I'm pretty sure that doesn't happen everywhere, though. Um, because it's not always nice to hear maybe what you could have done better or what you didn't do do right. That's yeah, but what, that's us. Yeah, that and this is where the podcast kind of came into like this this honesty. But that has allowed me to develop not only in, into the football player but the person that I am today, which influences everything I do every single day. I think it's, I think it's, it's the, the the main thing thing about it is the honesty. I mean, you know, I'm having been involved a lot with football with all four of you. I was on a football field literally seven days a week for God knows how many hours. And when you were exposed to a game for that long, that much every day at all standards through grassroots, you do pick up this and that where you can perhaps help other people. So later on, when when everything was running absolutely extremely chaotically um i also trained some teams and to pass on the the feeling the information the the uh, tactics the uh, where i saw skills were missing and you noticed the people where the kids hadn't been confronted with the whole truth it's the thing about whatever you do is fine. Okay, um, but then if everything's fine, then don't complain when it doesn't work because all of us make mistakes, all of us can improve, all of us can move forward. And if you're being told, oh, you're fine as you are, then where's where's the where's the encouragement or the... Um, enthusiasm to let your kid get better or it's it was criticism 
but it was positive criticism that we hoped you could use. It wasn't it wasn't to criticize what you're doing, perhaps to um make you aware, as we've always said, and as our tennis trainer Mike Schiller said, there's always somebody better. So hey, that's the person you're trying to catch up with. That's the person that you're you're trying to beat, isn't it? I can't keep up with my questions. Let's talk about the conversation you just had and the discussions you had in the car where we're talking about the honesty, the criticism and, and trying to make her better. How do you deal with the three different situations of she had a great game, but you're going to try to keep her feet on the ground, not her to think she's the best in the world. You've got the situation where she played okay, but there was a lot she could have improved on. So you try to try to give her the points she can work on and make it better. And the third one is she was absolutely awful. Uh, everyone on the outside noticed. And how do you build her up again? Um, the thing about the, the third situation is it's so seen never really had a game where you just said, oh my goodness, what happened today? It never happened because she always worked. And so if she'd made a mistake, she worked to improve it. Um, uh, a funny situation. Um, oh God, here last we go. Week, <laughs> last week, Sophie playing Belgium made a huge mistake. Oh, I remember your message at halftime. Okay, just a quick, quick one, input. Dad messages me throughout the game. And sometimes I'm like, Dad, do you actually expect me to read these at halftime? Because I'll read them afterwards. <laughs> but this is just me sharing. Also, tell us what the situation was. Basically, so, um, I can tell you. I know what you're talking about, Dad. It was in di distribution. I made a pass and it went literally straight to the opposition. That was 3-1 on, on goal. 1-1. Uh, is that what you're talking about, Dad? I am. And luckily, she missed. <laughs> <laughs> so we can all laugh now. Anyway. Um, but funnily enough, let, let, let's go back to, I, I'm sure you can cut this, Ollie. We'll go back to um, Sophie Dave at Hamden against Jamaica. She also made this pass to her fellow central defender and passed it straight to Kadja Shaw, who's known for being lethal at the goal. And Kadja Shaw goes through and scores for, I think it was 2-2, two -two, um, just before they went off to the World Cup. I love how dad only remembers all my big mistakes. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. So what happened was, Sophie then went and scored for 3-2 with Erda. That was my first goal, basically, for Scotland. <laughs> ever. Your first goal ever. Basically, what you're saying is, when I make a big mistake and I'm fully aware that I'd made them, uh, something switches on me and I'm aware that I have to work three times as hard and do something yeah. to... Yeah. So, no, let's let's go back and try and finish these stories. Um, take this bit out, Ollie, but I'm so emotional about this. <laughs> it's hard to talk. Um, so so we have, have Sophie scoring 3-2 at Hamda. So, playing Belgium... <laughs> She then makes this same mistake and gives it to the forward. And I sat here in Spain thinking. <laughs> I can tell you what he's thinking. <laughs> they're, they're finished. He's going to have to do something special. There's me in Spain thinking, um, she'll score now. 
She's made that mistake. She'll sort it. So, you know, that's what I'm talking about is, is I know that she'll, she'll do her best to sort those problems out. So the criticism in the car were positive things where I knew she, even if she went quiet and didn't speak for the next hour, I knew it was working. How did you, how did you deal with that? Just let her be quiet? Why? Why? Well, why would you provoke a response when you know it's working anyway? And how do you deal with the situation when she's played really, really well? And she did Sophie ever have that? So she was really sure of herself and and feeling like really hyped. Did you try to keep it, keep it down? No, never had to. Never. No, there was never there was never the case where uh, people would come and say how well she played and this that, and the other. Um, but um. That wouldn't be Sophie's first comment. Um, these were two lovely examples of Sophie um, and working on her, mis- uh, on her mistakes and then scoring. But I also remember the game against Argentina where uh, at the World Cup in, in France where um, Sophie played really well in the first game against England. She didn't play against Japan. And then we were playing against Argentina. I say we, I'm not in the Scottish national team anyway. Um, and uh, Scotland was winning 2-0 and the coach tried to bring Sophie on just shortly after half time I think I see 3-0 and I think she started warming up in the first half um, and then she doesn't bring on doesn't bring on it goes all the way to 3-2 for the last couple of minutes Sophie comes on and as Sophie is she works hard she tried to get to every ball tried to tackle and she, she wasn't fully in the game just tackled in the wrong moment they get the penalty they score, it's 3-3, the game ends. And I think many of the viewers probably have seen the picture. So if, if not, you can post it maybe in one of the snippets. But she was absolutely devastated because she obviously felt like it was, or I imagine so, correct me if I'm wrong, it was her fault that they didn't make it. Um, where it was not because so many things could have happened before where a change could have been made and the game would have gone totally different. How do you build her up from that? Um talking to Sophie about this I think I think that is the strength of the Scottish team and the Scottish support team there was never blame attributed there um, like Sophie when, when we've spoken about this Sophie said well when you're in that position you have to decide do I let her just go through and score a goal or do I try and get the ball and unfortunately brilliant performance from the Argentinian forward she even if Sophie hadn't have touched her she would have thrown herself on the floor it was their last last escape really um and unfortunately um with with the technology yeah she hit her foot I mean at that stage I was in France phoning to the states where my brother was watching the match and obviously, in the in the in the in the stadium, you don't get the pictures. So I was phoning the states to say, "Was it a foul? Was it Sophie?" I didn't even know it was Sophie from the stands. Um, was it Sophie? And he said, "Yeah." And it was it was um, a penalty. Um, so um, at that point, um, what can you do? You can only be there for, or you know, any of you, you know, when um, when things just go wrong what would I mean 
it obviously wasn't done on purpose. There was no, there was, you know, um, it was just, and, um, you know, that was probably, um, that took a long time for Sophie to get over the whole situation, not the penalty, but the whole situation. And I think that was really um, one of your worst downs in football, wasn't it, Sophie? That time, not not the penalty, not the World Cup, but that time of you in football. Yeah, I'd agree. I think just because it took me so long to get over, now, now a couple of years later, I know it wasn't only my fault. But in that moment, yeah. if you said, Ollie, I felt like I had messed this up for the national team, for the country, for all the supporters that had travelled, for my family, everyone. Obviously, with time, and I think Dad mentioned that the difficulty is when I'm disappointed or, or down, I just go quiet and shut down. And I'm fully aware of that, but almost that's just how I deal with things. So I... At that point, I struggled to share why I was so down. So therefore, no one could really help me because I didn't open up about why I blamed myself so much. I think we all knew. We all knew. And we were surprised at the um, facade that you put on of being okay with it. Because I remember you coming and staying with me and I was thinking, oh, She's coping really well with that. And I didn't know what that silent Sophie was coping with in the background. And that's hard. But it is because yeah. you know something's not right, but you're not being open. Sophie is not being open with me about it. Um, I knew that it was eating. Um, on the way driving home, I said, I have to write a book. It's going to be called One Night in Paris. <laughs> It was, Can't it, wait for that book. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was, you know, it was one of those things that, oh, this couldn't have gone worse. Um, but having said that, it, she had a brilliant game against England. They still lost, but um, because she had a brilliant game, people didn't notice because she stopped what England has in their development been, been building up. Of closing down the 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 wingers, and the winger got taken off, and she had a brilliant game, but nobody saw that because she didn't score a goal or whatever, you know. And that hard work, um, it was recognised by by the Scots, but a normal spectator didn't see that. Um, so yeah, um, the World Cup was an experience, let's say. Something you can grow from. Yes, um, it, I think. I think um, also um, that period was what has, like Sophie said in in the previous podcast, that period is what has enabled Sophie to be where she is today. Can we also? I, I said I had a couple of questions. I want to try to link them in so I don't keep jumping, but. Um, we talk now about mental strengths and mentality uh, in, in athletes and also in, in kids nowadays. And we see often uh, with our daughter that people say everything's fine, you're doing great, don't worry, little to any criticism. 
um, no, no saying, it's all fine, or yes. Do you think this modern mentality or, or people are too weak nowadays to deal with honesty and criticism to then develop? I, personally, I'm just jumping in, but personally, I don't think there's right and wrong. Everyone has to figure out their way. I'm not a parent, but that's just, just me just observing society. But the one thing that that Adun mum taught us, and I'm saying as, as as four children, is if you start something, you finish it. So if I started something, I fully committed and I finished the job. And whether that was school, whether that was a different hobby, and in my case, whether that was football, I committed wholeheartedly. And that led to football being my life. I think I think that, that's a good comment. I was going to come from a totally different angle. I think if you have a talented footballer, you... you so certain certain talents you just have to let flow because if you if you're going to you know the Germans were very much especially when when we when we started looking at football you had to work as a team in a system you became part of a machinery um, and so you weren't getting the dribblers you weren't getting the good mid- midfielders you were you were having a machine that worked together and my comment there is that by you know, everybody's screaming past the ball. But if you don't let a kid dribble and go one-on-one, when are they ever going to learn it? You know, so in that respect, um, we often had on the sides of the pitch, play the blinking ball or don't hog it. But if they don't and they're young, it's too late later on. But it depends. And so in that respect, let them, let them, let them fly. But I think you can also, in saying that was good, but you should have then played it. It can, you know. There's a hole in the ball. There's a hole in the ball, and there's being good yeah, the and ball, can, isn't it? And they can, they can just be too much of it. They can try it once or twice, but they, if they never play the ball, you stop the development of the whole team, and um, in like sugarcoating them and not telling them, look, we're playing as a team here, you can do your one-on-ones, but if it doesn't work two or three times, play the ball because we need to win as a team and not you need to dribble past three players and we lose as a team. Um, and there again, honestly, just letting them do it and not criticising and saying, look, you've done this and it works, but why don't you think about in- integrating this? I, I always remember the there was a, um, a discussion between different Manchester United players, and I think it was Rio Ferdinand, Patrice Evra, um, Nani and they were talking about Cristiano Ronaldo and when he came that he never played the ball and the Manchester United players just started kicking them kicking him and Ferguson let them do it because he, Cristiano Ronaldo wasn't listening doing his thing but they needed him to learn that playing the ball was much more effective and then he started switching his game and not doing it for the reason of dribbling but for there to be a result in dribbling past someone to score. But if there was not the possibility to score, he'd play the ball and run to a new place. Um, to, so there needs to be this type of criticism or helping kids develop the right sort of game because they don't know what's right. They do what's most fun. Yeah, but that's that's a positive criticism. Um, but that I don't see. Uh, it's it's harder to tell a kid who's who's... Not who's actually talented but not played well today. You just had a bad day. Um, rather, you know, telling somebody, you know, you don't always have to dribble, 
But I mean, is that criticism? No, it's not. But I think I think there is is a thing you do have to let them do it two, three, four times, and if it doesn't work the fourth time, you know, that's logic, isn't it? You know, if if, if the kids is not picking up that the fourth time it's gone wrong and is still doing it, that is not going to be a footballer ever, is it? You know, you you have to work a solution to your problem, um, and if they can't do that, then then they're not far enough. It sounds like you were a very calm person, but that reason wasn't really a calm parent at the side of the pitch. But that wasn't always the case, was it? You could get really emotion, emotional and loud as well. There are a number of things that I can't accept. One is unfairness. Um, if things are are really um, obviously unfair. Um, and then, hang on a minute, I'm not going to just watch this go on. If it's unfair, then it's unfair not just to, to my kid on the pitch. It's unfair to, to the, that kid's whole team, you know. Um, talking here, refs, talking here, linesmen. Um, I remember going to a competition with, with uh, a ladies team to Holland and we just rocked it, basically. We just rocked it and... Um, we played against a Dutch team, and I remember um, from each team they had to allocate um, a parent or whatever on the sideline to to do the sideline. And we went and scored a goal, and the trainer said, "Why didn't you put that up for offside?" And the parent said, um, "Well, it wasn't offside." And he said, "But put the flag up anyway." Um, this is, you know, that's I mean, it's just. Being unfair, um, it's not helping anybody, is it? And those sorts of things, I, I will go pretty strongly against. Um, you know, the 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 refereeing of that Argentinian game, I watched it, actually, I will admit this, about 10 days ago. Um, the foul, I think, was committed, I, I, I can't get it exactly, but 84, 85 minutes? And then they had the VAR vision um, viewpoint. Then they had the penalty, and then they had the retake of the penalty. And this went on to, I think, 90 plus three, 90 plus four. And then she played two minutes overtime. Hey, Hannah, where's the other seven, eight, nine minutes gone? I mean, she blew the whistle, and everybody thought, you know, she was singing a song. It was. There was no reason. Uh, she just didn't write any other. And that, to me, also, I mean, um, that's just unfair. I don't see, you know, and how that ref can be refing a World Cup is, for me, just not, you know, it's, it's not justifiable. We, we talked about this uh, in one of the other episodes as well. And at that time, women's football was still growing to become really professional. Um, I know there was professionals. Do you mean back in back in back in Argentina yeah, in Argentina uh, playing against Argentina in France? And um, yeah. unfortunately, the refs were behind the quality of the women's football. Um, also, probably because the way the probably there was not enough women refing to have really really good ones. Because the competition was maybe not good enough to have enough good ones at the World Cup. Um, but that was just a time where everything was still growing. So 
I think that's something we just have to deal with. I I was listening recently to a, a really good podcast where they were talking about um, refs and if they if the leagues are becoming professional and my goodness me how they've they've developed over the last years um, when you see the championship this year compared to what it was even like three years ago worlds apart um, and they were saying that if you're making the leagues professional but the referee still has to have a part-time job to be able to pay the bills or you know that if you want professional games you have to have professional officials and if you're not going to be able to to supply that then it's unfair on the officials it's you know it's it's not their fault we're all human we all make mistakes but they've got everything available now to not make those mistakes um but if they're if they're still not professional then it's being unfair on them and i thought that was a very very fair comment because uh, they have a really difficult job um, with with um, momentary decisions that would be absolutely crucial in a game. Um, and they have to be given that um, environment where they can make those decisions. I thought it was a, a very fair comment. And I, 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 I haven't viewed it like that, actually, to be honest. I was always critical of the person, and yeah, I was wrong in that. Um, if they're not giving the environment, how can they be? Talking about you know? the professional setup, and Sophie and I spoke about this, I think, uh, off the record once. What is your opinion on parents coaching teams? You were one yourself, um, obviously, many, many years ago. But do you think that helps the kids? I don't know if it ever occurred to you guys, but I never coached any of you. I think it's wrong for a parent to coach their own child. What I used to do is I um, used to coach the second team of an age group. Um, and um, normally you guys played in the first team. And I did that on purpose um, because there was always a, a lack of trainers or a lack of people that wanted to spend their time supporting the kids. Um, and I was quite happy to do that. And I don't need to have a first team. I want kids to develop as 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 footballers and have a sport where they have some sort of identity and where the kid can develop and stuff like that. Um, I don't have to win. I don't have to win. I can take defeat. You know, that's that's not a problem to me. And and that's what I mean. I never trained any of you. Um and also, to be honest, I wasn't good enough to train any of you either. Um, we had the discussions in the car. Um, but I uh, I find it very hard to... Um, I have a very strong... As you can probably hear, I have quite strong opinions about being honest and straightforward. And and it was often the case that, that you couldn't be when you were in the first team of an age group... Um, there were too many prima donnas. There were too many, um, let's say, enthusiastic parents where you couldn't go to a kid and say, hey, um, you, you have to change this or we ought to do something there. You know, um, any criticism was was um, not wanted. And that's not my way. So therefore, I was happy to help kids less talented make those smaller steps forward. 
rather than rather than the winning piece um and the depth is what actually helps the growth so if you only have a couple of good ones and nothing's coming after them then development stops yeah dad i've got a three actually quick fire questions um because as ollie mentioned i often get i guess messages from parents um their kids might have not made the trials and how do i now motivate my kid and my kid's been treated unfairly what do i do um I don't know why I get the questions because I'm not the parent. Um, but so I'm passing them on to you. But throughout my career, you've always been there. Is there anything you would do differently now looking back? Or do you think with the knowledge you had, with the experience you had, you would do the same? I wouldn't know what to do different. Mm. Um, because getting involved might promote sport for a bit, but not everybody can get involved, you know. And um we were talking before about certain certain kids that were not sort of a talent. So the father became a co-trainer. Um, so the kid played every game and in different teams for the next three years. Of course, huge development, huge development. So he really went over the three leagues of what he natural as a natural talent um, should have should have played without the father's intervention. Was that right? Was that wrong? I don't know. Did it help the um, kid develop? Yes. Yes, absolutely. It did, but not 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 from the fact, it was the fact he played two to three times a week in games. You, you, you can't replace that with training. Yeah. See, my issue there is, I agree with you, Ollie, that yes, his development potential was there, but some other kids lost out because their parents yeah. didn't join in. That's where me personally, I personally, that's where I struggle because other people are missing out. Yes, that dad probably did it right because his kid, his kid developed. But what about the other three that yeah. never got game time that probably were more talented and their parents? And actually, actually those, those kids that had more natural talent and probably at the end of the day would have gone further because they, they, they had more, more maturity, they were maturity better they had a better skill with the ball, but match game skill is also so important, and, and you're only going to get that if you if you yeah. play often. But unfortunately, that's what the world is like, right? It's, it's pretty unfair, and we spoke about this often before as well. It's all about knowing people, and you said that earlier, you need to show up, you need to be there for the kid, but maybe you need to make these connections as a parent as well to help your kid get into a squad Um and I'm not talking about sucking up to people, to, um, but to be there to show your face and because then it makes that selection of a child maybe a little bit easier. I've got a perfect example here. I, I had uh, a girl who I thought was really, really good. Um, so I introduced her to, to one of the teams we, we worked with and they looked at this girl and she should train with the second team. And um, after the training, I said, well, you know, what did you think of her? And they said, well, we, we played a game and her team won 6-0 and she scored all six goals. And I go, okay. But we're not that. How do you envisage this working? And I said, well, um, what do you mean? I mean, this was a club with, with a certain amount of money. Um... And the comment was, well, how much are the parents willing to pay? And I go, well, you know, she's a talent and her parents can't pay. It's not they weren't willing to, they couldn't. 
And they said, but um, this other girl, their parents are paying so and so much to come here and they're here all the time. Well, is that an argument, really? They're, they're not taking a talent because the parents weren't able to pay. For me, that, that, that's another thing where I get really annoyed. I get really annoyed because um, at a kid's level, and that was age 15, 16, it shouldn't be an industry. You should be helping kids um, follow their dream. Whether that person, that, that girl, would have made it or not, that, that's in the start. You didn't know. get a chance. But she didn't get a chance because the parents couldn't pay. And I would keep repeating couldn't. If they could have done, they probably would. But they were unable to. And, you know, I conveyed all this. But no, um, because others were paying. No. <laughs> yeah, unfair. Um, I, would, I would love if I was to win an awful lot of money on a lottery. I would love to just be dedicated to those people, that, those boys and girls that get lost because they haven't got that financial means or the freedom to support what their kids are actually capable of. Um, I thought I was I getting a know. house <laughs> and dad's donating his money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, and, and that's for me you know um, sport should be used for you've all said you were brought up in a in a very um, academically and at home quite a protected environment and it was playing football that allowed you to really um, deal with enjoy compete with the community and that's what we should be doing we we you know at the grassroots we we should be taking that edge off the kids and and giving them time to enjoy sport um and that's not being done across the board it's still too much dependent on on status and money things like we've discussed in previous episodes or today about some pretty, I'd say, I don't want to sound depressed, but dark times throughout my career, some of the the lowest lows. But what was one of the hardest moments or a few hardest moments of parenting throughout my career? Because I know that my family suffered with me when I, when I went through those, those times. What was... What is the hardest part of being a parent in these low times? I think with this podcast, the realisation what was going on at that time and we weren't being allowed to share it. I didn't want to share it. I couldn't share it. Yeah, but that's hard. That's probably that. The, the 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 revelations that you've made on this podcast um are probably i mean to hear what was going on with you and you not involving us at that time is very hard as a parent because you think why not 
I know it's you, and I know that's the way you deal with it. Um, I'm going to put this one in anyway. Do you remember when you missed the gate at skiing and your sister beat you because you missed the gate? <laughs> I actually don't, but come on, share the story. <laughs> we had this, at the end of your ski course, you had a, a slalom race, and Sam beat you. We found out, we, we thought that, that you beat Sam because of your pure determination. So we get to the presentation of medals <laughs> and Sam beat you and you didn't get a medal. Which was fine, but we didn't understand why. And so all the way, and we drove back from Austria to the middle of Germany five hours. And you didn't say one word. <laughs> Not one word. We tried to get to talk. We stopped for a meal at McDonald's on the way home. We tried to get you to talk. No. And I know, I mean, I think you were, hang on a minute, there we get about eight, nine, something like that. And to have that, I'll tell you another story. <laughs> it's the two of you, Sam and you, Ollie was with us, but Ollie was quite normal as a kid. Um, <laughs> to believe. And you and Sam suddenly decided that you would go and hide. <laughs> and do you remember? Uh, behind the curtain. Um, yeah. Yeah. We had really light curtains and you hid behind those curtains for over an hour and didn't move. I don't know where. And that is, you know, you just go quiet and you're gone. And um, so... It shouldn't have been a surprise, but the fact you didn't talk about it, and obviously I knew you were going through hard times because I was seeing what was happening with your football. I saw what was happening with your injury. And then I remember you, you then did your other... Um, hamstring. Hamstring. Was it hamstring? Okay. I, just, I, knew, I knew it was really hard, but you battle on. You battle on and to the outside world, you're battling on and everything's fine. And... Um, you sort of do get a feeling that something's not quite right, but if somebody's battling on, you don't want to stop and say, tell me the truth. You, that's the way you're dealing with it. That's the way you have to deal with it. So, um, But not being able to get involved there or not being part of your down, because when you do well, everybody's part of it. Aren't you? And not being included in the downtime is as a pair of cards, I, I found. Yeah. Do you know what? Even if you'd asked me what was really going on, I would have never shared You wouldn't that. have told me. No, not a chance. No. I think if if I was facing something similar now, maybe, but I'm not confident saying I would. No. That's no. just how, over the years, how I've dealt with things. And you saying I put a facade up, I, I went into beast mode, that is years of practising. I'm pretty good at that now. Yeah. 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 What was it you learned in America? Fake it till you make it. Yeah. Pretty much. You faked it until you got through it. Pretty yeah. much, yeah. 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 And and um as a parent, knowing something's going on, um, but you can't help is boy, heavy. I remember saying to you just a couple of days ago, Dad, have you listened to our latest podcast? And you're like, No, because every time you talk about something I'll start crying. And I promised you you'd laugh because it was a fear one. <laughs> Did we make you laugh? Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, um, I think 
because there was four of you as as kids. You didn't know all this was going on. You know, you going up and down the stairs with the lights and, you know, perhaps I should have changed the switches so they worked. But, you know, <laughs> and we, were, we were doing other things. Like I said, we were we were seven days a week on the football field and that's without the tennis and and whatever else, you know. So um, we had different priorities um, and I didn't know all that was going on. With the spiders, of course, because you've opened up about it now. But the fact that, um, Bin Laden was going to come and tell you. You could have told him because I would have put a sign on the door. No Bin Laden. Thank you, Dad. I, w- I wanted to ask because obviously this podcast we're focusing on football. We're focusing a little bit on my career, and I felt growing up, especially in the years where I was at Hoffenheim, that a lot of time was committed to making it to my games. I remember it was Sam and, Sam and my birthday and you came to Hoffenheim instead of cel- celebrating at home with Sam. But how did mm. you manage? Ollie, you can jump in because I never had the feeling that any of my siblings were jealous of the time you committed. So how did you manage to make sure that we all knew that we were loved and valued equally? Or Ollie, did you ever have the feeling that you were... Left out, neglected. I was shaking my head. Uh, I think um, all in different ways we knew we were loved. But I think as a family, we also all knew we were a family. So it was not he's leaving us or he's not at my birthday. It was always he's at Soph's or he's at Ed's or today's with me. Um, It was he was allocating his time and we knew we knew he was. So I never felt like that. We were also at different stages because as soon as Ollie had really grown out of the local club, he moved on. But you and Sam, Ed wasn't playing already. You and Sam were at local club level. Um, so games, because that's the way the Germans do it, games were on different days. So your CU, the CU's um, for Ollie was on a different, was on Saturdays. The DU's was on Sundays. And F, um, you know, when Ed came into F, he was on a Sunday morning, and and yours would be Sunday lunchtime. So uh, we would we would split it up like that, um, and so we did try to to um, split the time. But you've always all four of you have been understanding, you know. So there were for us it was, um, you know, games took priority. Um, and then, and then training, and then was it was it tennis or, or was it football? I mean, you know, that was probably one of the most difficult things. Um, but actually, you know, Mum learned to drive, so she did the local stuff. And, and Ed, when he was growing up, and you girls, when you didn't have to go far, and I did did the the longer journeys with um, when you sort of were moving into selection teams or different clubs for higher leagues or whatever. So we did our best to to try and divide our time, um, but prioritise um, regarding um, um, what we saw as most important games, training or which sport, you know. Just for the listeners, when Dad talks about the different letters youth 
that's how it works in Germany. You have your D, I guess it's like under 11s or something. C is under 14s. Um, just so you know, he's talking age groups. Right. But dad, thanks so much for the insight. For once, I'm not the one giving all the insight, which I think is quite nice for all the listeners. Um, but I, I do want to finish this episode with probably the biggest question and probably the most important question for all listeners. And that is probably your biggest advice for any parent listening in terms of how to support their child, their daughter, their their son playing football and maybe they have the dream of becoming a professional footballer. How how do you support that? I don't know. Um, there. That, that was what was in my head. Just being there, being supportive. Um, you know, at the end of the day, as a parent, the most important person on that field is your kid. Um, that's not to say that the others are are not important, but um, that's the person that's looking to you, isn't it? That one person is the person that's that's looking for the support, um, the being there. Um, you know. Um, Can I jump in, Dad? Yeah. Obviously, again, I'm not a parent, but from someone that went through it that has now made the passion of football a career I always knew that I was loved unconditionally um, was I sometimes mad at my parents yes were they mad at me yes um, sometimes did I feel like I disappointed them because I didn't put in a good performance yes um, usually I was more mad at myself and disappointed there was never that that oh my goodness me what happened today you were more disappointed with yourself yeah. Yeah. than than um anybody would have commented. Yeah, I think you know I I I look but now I get the day we were in the hall and you were eight, nine, ten and um, and you cried after a game and I think you'd won by about six real and um I jumped down and met you off the pitch and took you out the back door because you were crying. And um, everybody said, oh, my God, he's going to give her hell. <laughs> and I thought, you know, why Why would I have done? You were my concern, not whether you'd won or lost. Why was I crying? It was the adrenaline. Oh. You had so much adrenaline, and I mean, you won easy. Um, it was a hard game, but but you just you, you were with the boys, and so there was what five aside, wasn't it? But there was so much, so much um, on the game, and and you won it easy. But you wanted to win so much, and the adrenaline it has to come out somewhere. And and I was judged because I went and saw you, and they thought I was having a go. When I said, Sophie, what's wrong? Why why are you crying? You know, you've done really well. And um it's a misreading, but for me again, your feelings. Your feelings were the most important thing for me. Yeah. No, I felt that. I think that's something we should not forget as well, how important the feelings are. And that's 
as you said, what it's all about, being there for your child. And making it would be nice, but number one is your kid feeling safe, loved, wanted and supported. That's a great finish for me. And that's why I always say the moment I stop loving what I do, the moment, moment I don't enjoy playing football, that's me done. Sorry, Dad, for putting you through this, but thank you very much for all your insights. <laughs> um, and so, see you next week. See you next week, Ollie and Dad. Hopefully, I'll see you in November. <laughs> Bye, everyone. See you soon. Bye.